Hello and welcome to Newsnight. I am Ladi Akeri Doluale. Thanks for being with us. Crude oil theft in Nigeria has been a source of great concern because the commodity has significant impact on the nation's economy. My guest says the efforts to fight the menace have been successful and will be sustained. My guest, however, admits that technology used by criminals meant that the authorities weren't really aware of the extent of what was happening until recently. Newsnight talks to the group chief executive officer of NNPC Limited, Malam Mele Kiari. GCEO, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's going to get, or it's going to take some getting used to not calling you GMD, calling you GCEO, even though it's been some time uh, since that happened. But um, we're here to get updates on uh, several issues, really. Uh, let's start with the most contentious, the one that is most in the national space at the moment. What's the situation report today with this uh, battle against uh, crude oil theft? I think the, the best way to describe it is uh, almost meeting, meet, mission getting to accomplishment because uh, the activities of our government security agencies combined with the efforts of our private security contractors uh, supported and facilitated by our partners and the NMPC itself uh, has led to very many discoveries that hitherto we probably would think that it is impossible for things like this to happen. And those discoveries meant that you know, there are infractions on our facilities, uh, our pipelines to be particular, and then the activities of oil thieves has gotten to a level where of sophistication where you will say that they're almost like co-producers. And the actions that we took uh, alongside our partners is to contain this. And it's not clearly an, only a security intervention, it is beyond security. It's, it's a, a complete, uh, full-scale intervention. Uh, getting the assets recovered, pulling out the illegal connections, getting back production, and also ultimately taking out the, the criminals and, and the bundles. So they all go simultaneously. And what we saw is that uh, uh, these assets uh, have suffered the, the worst of uh, infractions, and, and it's over. Because today, uh, with the efforts that we have made, you know, we have, see, have clear visibility around these assets, the activities of the bundles, so that we see them as they happen and we, we react to it. Uh, much more rigorous uh, intervention and quicker intervention because of the communication process that is in place, the intervention system that is in place, the alignment that now exists between the various stakeholders, government security agencies, the oil companies, NMPC, and even private uh, uh, support that we are getting, including other regulatory agencies. So that seamless coordination has led to a situation where we say, yes, uh, we know what the problem is. We have scaled it down substantially. We are seeing the benefit. And more than anything, we have a pathway to sustainability because that we now know the, the extent of the challenge that we have, uh, the actions that we are taking are paying off, and, and of course, uh, more importantly, the, the bundles and the thieves are running away. So I think what is also very possible to right question to ask by shareholders, the Nigerian people, is that why didn't you find this out all this way? I think that's a very valid uh, question. Uh, why were these uh, infractions there and we probably didn't know about it? When you introduce technology into stealing 
And this is precisely what, what, what they did. And when there is a collaboration of the people who should not be part of that transactions, you can lay pipelines. No one will see it. You can do it in the night if you have the abilities. And ultimately, this is what we think happened. And that ultimately, you can lay pipelines for the wrong reasons to assets that may have been abandoned, or even active assets which are not meant for those purposes. That means you see end-to-end -end collaboration either by people who are around those assets, people operating the assets, people who are supposed to provide security for those, these assets, and so on. And you can't eliminate anything. And therefore, uh, you say, look, why didn't we know about this? Because uh, sometimes uh, criminals find their way around everything. Uh, when, you, when you find collaborators uh, in the system, then you can get anything done. So we didn't know because uh, the extent of collaboration is uh, unknown to us. And, and essentially what this uh, intervention process brought on the table is that knowledge that we didn't know before. Uh, companies have always reported uh, illegal connections. Uh, we have seen them in numbers. We we'll do overflights around our pipelines. We see some of these impressions over time and in history. Because they are minimal, you will continue to pull them out and then they will return it back. And because you don't have that perfect 24-hour surveillance around these assets, they know when you will do the overflights. Uh, it's not secret because when helicopter fly across your assets and everybody will know that helicopter has gone, they can take runoff. And then once you are out of that, they will come back. So they know when to operate. But what we did now, which is very, very different, is to have total surveillance. That means that we see these pipelines in the night, we see it in the daytime. Uh, today's uh, support that we have received, particularly from the Nigerian force, give us some redundancy of 48-hour redundancy of some of the surveillance uh, assets that we have in, in Grana. So we see what happens now. We react very, very quickly. And therefore, those issues that we will say, well, why didn't we know this? It's now history because as it happens, we know. What we're doing now is to take out the ones that have happened, but putting back another set of illegal connections, or even restoring you know, big pipelines into this, uh, this our, our major pipeline, cannot happen again. Because you know, we now have uh, a sense of uh, knowledge a sense of surveillance uh, that is clearly electronic and clearly beyond the reach of the ordinary bundle because we are now seeing them from the, from the skies. I think this is the best way to, way to put it. So it's very, very different. Uh, historically, you can have this infraction, you wouldn't know about it. The only way oil companies will know is when they see pressure drop in the, in the, in the pipeline. And, and the other way they will know is that you pump 100 barrels and you receive 20. So you know that you have lost 80. So what you do typically is to take your overflow, is that a spill? And when you don't see a spill that you know something has happened and we log it as, a, as a, an occurrence of some activities of, of teeth. Everything you've spoken to and some of those who have listened to you over time have come across or have come away with the impression that there seems to be some level of complicity. What many people don't know is perhaps how high it goes uh, and who in specific terms. But are you worried about that level of complicity? Because some of those who have commented publicly have said things like, oh, this kind of connections and so on are not possible uh, except by a small group of people who have the kind of knowledge uh, to be able to put this in place. That so perhaps the typical picture in the head of a vandal of some villager in some local remote area is not particularly correct. Is, uh, how, how, are you worried about that? Not really. I think what we're dealing with is a, is a range of bundles, a range of tips, from the very small scale to the sophisticated. We have seen this in the interventions that we have done so far. 
you'll see people who will just connect five meters away on top of the pipelines, they break it, they create holes, collect the oil and start processing it in the small, what is called uh, artisanal refineries or illegal. They are not refineries, by the way, I will come to that. Uh, so there are people who do this. They are not on the scale of some of the discoveries that we have made, where we have seen up to a 12-inch line being run across our assets to an abandoned platform from which people come and, and, and load and, and, and live. So that's a different, that's the extreme part of the, part of, part of the scale. And so between them, you have a range of possibilities, you know, from, small, from the smallest scale that I have described to the large scale where people will come with badges and probably even vessels, uh, larger vessels to, to load and go away. So you are dealing with a range of issues. And, and you have to start from the very bottom because without access to the pipeline, you can't do any of them. And those access are done through connections. Uh, and those connections are, are vary in sizes. And therefore, what we're doing now is to make sure that those connections don't happen. The ones that are there are pulled out so that you have a sustainable framework where people cannot come to the platforms and, and take uh, crude oil from it. Uh, when I spoke to the chief of naval staff, uh, he pointed out at the time, uh, that was in August, that uh, there's a difference, that a lot of people seem to model up the figures. Uh, that what is actually production loss, which could emanate from, you know, this kind of vandalism and so on, is different from crude oil theft, uh, which is the actual act of taking it away. Yes, um, but I couldn't drill down on that with him, of course, uh, uh, yeah. uh, be, not being an expert in the field. But you are an expert in the field. Can, can you elaborate on what really is the difference here? Because... There are those who say that one is what leads to the other. Uh, so can you explain? Absolutely. Uh, you see, it is impossible to take out 700,000 barrels from the pipelines every day. That's not practical. It is not possible. You know, but you can lose opportunity of 700,000 barrels because you are unable to bring back production because of the acts of bundles. It becomes impossible for you to run your pipeline, and you are forced to shut down those assets, and therefore, you will lose the opportunity of delivering, say, 700,000 into the terminal. When we came down to as low as a million barrels, the total combined production, uh, when we could have done 1.8 million barrels, it means that if you come down to 1 million, the opportunity you have lost is 800,000 barrels or even 700,000 barrels. It varies from time, time to time. So you know that you could have delivered 800,000 barrels additional to the terminal, but you couldn't do it because you have to shut down your, uh, your facility. Uh, to contain uh, what is clearly an infraction on your pipeline. Now, what will make you shut down is that uh, when you start seeing spills, when you start seeing pressure losses, extreme pressure losses, or even when you deliver product and then you see that only 20% of you get to the terminal. Therefore, instead of having the 800,000 barrels into the terminal, you are only seeing uh, 500,000 or 600,000. That means, you know, technically, for that moment, you have lost 200,000 barrels to thieves. Therefore, at that moment, you can say, look, they have stolen 200,000 barrels per day. And nobody will accept this. If I lose 200,000 barrels per day, consistently for three, four, five days, you know, the rational thing to do is to short it now because uh, the net effect is, uh, is lost for you. And, and therefore, you can say 200,000 barrels can be stolen every day, but you can also lose up to 800,000 barrels of opportunity, which is a combination of what is stolen and the opportunity that is lost. All of them to the oil company is opportunity lost. 
So that's no difference. So this is a distinction. And that when we say that we are, we are losing 700,000 barrels per day or 800 per day, what we really mean is the, uh, the combination of opportunity loss and losses due to acts of stealing. Now, I, I, uh, a lot of people who have spoken to me say they can't seem to understand, and I want you to provide the rationale for this now, uh, that already in the areas where you have uh, the NNPC infrastructure, you have security forces there maybe even for other purposes other than guarding the infrastructure. There are communities there uh, as well in many of those areas, there are host communities in those areas. And a lot of these things are happening in those areas. And yet, somehow, they didn't get this information either across to the security agents or to the NNPC, which owns the infrastructure, for there to be remedial action. Now there is action being taken from everything you have told us. But there are many who can't get over the fact that what exactly was it that was going on there and why was it that it took the NNPC to actually now make the intervention with the support of the president and not those who were in those areas to say, look, this is our uh, uh, area here. This is what is going on here, you know, and not let it, the NNPC know. No, I think it's a combination of many things. First of all, uh, it's very clear that we underinvested in the security framework for protecting those assets completely. Uh, the industry underinvested. And also, uh, because our country, as you, you're very well aware, uh, there are a number of other security challenges that we have in the country. The attention of the government security forces are clearly uh, divided and there are very many things they are doing. So there's extent to which they can deploy all the required resources to cover some of these assets. I can understand prioritization, why not take this as priority, but there's no bigger priority than protection of lives. So when you see our government security agencies focus mainly on protection of lives, it is very, very understandable. And that process, uh, you end up under investing in two ways. Oil companies, uh, including the government budgetary mechanism, you will see uh, uh, putting resources uh, more on one segment of the security intervention than, than the other. And we as industry, of course, uh, uh, we didn't see this as our role, and therefore we were always waiting for the government security agencies to play that part, and, and the realization that our intervention is very, very critical, that we need to support them, we need to work with them, so that in terms of investment, in terms of put, put paying attention to it, in terms of de deploying resources that are required, and those were absent in, in the past, and we said, look, I think this is business. We have to get this back. This is not just business, it's national security issue, national economic security issue, national energy security issue, and we must do something that is very, very different. For instance, whatever it takes you to protect this asset that we are, we are doing today, it's not more than a day's production, but you can also lose, we have lost 30 days of production, so it makes no business sense for you to keep one day's production and lose 30 days' production. And therefore, we decided that let's invest as much as is possible in infrastructure, supporting the armed forces, supporting the other security agencies of government, so that we can recover this production. Once we make those money, and then they are, we're able to fund more, uh, the Federation will have more resources. They can put on many other things that we, we know they are very, very typical. And, and ultimately, the overall security of these assets now comes in, into, into focus. It's not a question of whether the government security agencies are abandoned, not at all. Uh, it's far from it. Uh, they, they, are, they have multiple interventions that they are doing all over the country. Uh, we didn't 
pay much attention to it in the sense of uh, giving them the resources that are required to intervene. And that combination, that alignment, that realization that this is critical for our business and for our country made us to now take some of these actions. For instance, even when you have uh, a, 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 an overfly helicopter tells you, oh, I've seen an illegal refinery here, you know? So you need government security agencies to react to this. They need mobility, they need vessels, they need assets, and these assets also have competing needs. You know, they have to worry about pirates, they have to worry about, you know, other, other criminals of all natures, uh, some kind of sabotage uh, that, that goes on, threat to people's life, and all over the country. So we know that the attention is focused on that, and of course it's yielding results, but the end result is that uh, we kind of didn't pay as much attention that is required, and this is happening now, and that is why you are seeing this traction that we're getting. I must mention uh, the point you made about the refineries yes. or what are called refineries, the artisanal refineries, because, of course, it was this product that was being illegally taken from the NNPC's infrastructure that was being used to fuel yeah. those facilities. Yeah. Uh, and you say that they are not refineries. That, that will come as a surprise to quite a number of people who had said, well, actually, rather than destroy them or arrest the people who are there, we should harness the technology and uh, turn them into legal entities who could then be used as alternate refiners uh, for the purpose of uh, getting locally refined products. How do you respond to that? Yes, uh, by the way, uh, I think I've said it in very many fora, that these are not refineries at all. Uh, refinery is science. Refining is science. Those signs are very, very specific. You don't need to reinvent it. So refining is a process. So this, what you are seeing there is there are no refineries by any stretch of imagination. So there's no technology in it. They're just boiling oil so that they can remove the heavy ends and then you take them into cake and, and move away. So they are not refining anything. And it's also not possible to convert them into refineries because there are signs around refinery, refining. And not only that, uh, don't forget that they take free oil to process or to cook. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. The stolen oil. Uh, the stolen oil is what they are putting into these processes. There is no way you would buy refining uh, oil today at its market value and do what they are doing and get back your money. So it's not possible. It's not practical. And that is why if you look at the uh, general environment of refining in our country, uh, without creating the high-end products in refinery, LPG, PMS, you know, there is no way refinery margin will be sufficient for you to run it as a, as a business. And that's why every license given out to create uh, 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 private refineries hasn't worked because they will not be able to scale it up to a level where they can bring in the high-end products. So they are limited to producing the heavy ends, the heavy distillates, AGO, uh, LPFO. And when you buy oil and you only produce this, uh, this, uh, these elements, you know, the margin is so slim that you will not be able to recover. So there is no way what they are doing now can be converted into, into a legitimate business. So it's not possible. It's not practical. And by the way, uh, you may be aware that today there are over 2,000 of these illegal refineries. We have taken down most of them, no doubt about it. I don't have the specific numbers this moment, but I know that we have taken out very extreme proportions of this, these numbers. And we're taking them down every day. So you, there's no way you can have 2,000 installations on your pipeline and run a pipeline. No oil company will allow this pipeline. They will walk away. And that's, that's the right thing to do because you cannot say that, look, let me allow these people to operate and, and at the end, uh, you are not able to deliver 
uh, all the volume that you should take it to the, to the timeline. Example is if you have 2,000 of these illegal, you allow them to operate. As mean just each one of them take 1,000 barrels, just an example per day. Yeah. So if they do, and you are now, is two, yeah, that means it's, uh, for 2,000, it's beyond your production. So even if they take 100 barrels per day, you will see that it's a huge volume that you cannot account for at the terminal. You cannot recover your upstream cost. You cannot take, go to the market and recover your cost as so sustainable. You will naturally shut down because these people are not paying for the oil. The moment you say pay, pay for this oil, this business is over because we know that this is time. It is impossible to do what they are doing now, buy crude at the market price and recover here because they will walk away. So what is there for anyone who wants to do refining? There's a structure for modular refineries. Modular refinery is science. Modular refining is science. And there's provision for it. Anyone can take a license. And there are already a few of them that are operating, at least two of them that are operating today. They are small scale. They only do a job, probably 1,000 barrels per day to 5,000 barrels. That's the biggest that is operating today. And there's another 10,000 that is going to come up. But all this cannot function except there is a market for it. And those markets will determine the value that you get from this refining business. So you can do a 5,000 barrels refinery, create all the heavy distillates, and at the end, you will make marginal value and that marginal value may be sufficient for small investment. But when you have huge investment and you, you are not sure of how you are going to get back your money, nobody will do it. That's why the only refinery uh, that is still, still now in the offing that will come into operation is the Dangote refinery. This is very simple because, first of all, it's an export-free zone. So, I mean, technically, it's a foreign refinery uh, located in our country. Very valid reason to, to do this. So that you can buy, sell product at, at the market rate in line with international prices, we are shareholders in that company, that we know that this, this has value. Now this refinery can create the heavy end, the light end products. That's the, the expensive part of the, let me call it the expensive part of the products. And that means you can get back your money, you can buy the crude, process it, and get back your money. And that's what many other initiatives are, are doing to see how uh, the, the light ends are also created in this refinery. Let <laughs> me bring you to the, um the vessel that seemed to bring this entire issue onto national and possibly international uh, limelight, the empty heroic Eden yes. that uh, attempted to, as it was reported, uh, go to the apple field and uh, take away some barrels. There's contention over how many barrels. Uh, but that vessel, the last time I spoke uh, 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 about that vessel, it was intercepted in Guinea, in Equatorial Guinea. And from the latest reports we have, it's been brought back to Nigeria along with the crew that operated it. But information has since come out that this was not the first time that some of these things had happened in the past. I'm just wondering if we're receiving as much cooperation from some of our neighbors who can help with this process as you would like, uh, considering this particular instant case, uh, in the case of Heroic Ed? I think what is very critical is that uh, uh, intra-African and West African cooperation in, in handling activities of pirates and oil thieves is very, very critical. I'm aware today that there are a number of engagements that are going on to see how we can leverage our relationships with these countries to, to curb the activities of uh, uh, illegal uh, transportation of oil across the West African uh, region, and also to the world. Uh, I don't want to spe speak about the, the details around it, but I know there are engagements that are going on to, curtail, to make sure that our, our partners, the West African countries and other countries, help us, including the larger international community. Because 
uh, you must realize that you cannot sell oil without going to the bank. And we have advocated this, uh, treat oil as a blood diamond, because that's what it is, because there is no way you can sell oil without going to the bank. Not what you see in the, in the creeks today where people cook and put it on trucks, take it to, uh, uh, to fuel stations in our country. When you take it to the international, you must go to the bank. And banks see this transaction. We have created portals where people can report uh, any sales of crude oil from our country. You can validate it. You can tell the one that is true from the one that is not. And we're getting some corporations in, 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 that, in that respect. And therefore, the international cooperation, including those around us, is very critical. Engagements must go forward. Advocacy must be uh, escalated so that you know, the international community will help us in coming, covering this. Now, coming back to uh, specific issues around uh, nomination of vessels in our, in, our, in our country, there's a process for nomination of vessels. Vessels don't come to any country without uh, some uh, authorities uh, endorsing it, and multiple authorities from the NNPC to the regulatory institutions, the Nigerian Navy, NPA, NIMASA, everyone will see these vessels come into your country. And there's a process for vessels coming into your uh, economic zone, exclusive economic zone. So they can't come into economic zone except there's some kind of uh, authorization. So when vessels come into your, uh, your exclusive economic, economic zone without the permission of the state, it means that it's a vessel that is subject of uh, any accusation that can happen. In the specific case of the heroic, there were conversations uh, between us and the Nigerian Navy. We are happy that this vessel has been brought back and the, and the crew being subject of uh, both investigation and prosecution. They do anything wrong. It has to be taken, the law must take its course. You cannot come into people's territorial water to, to conduct any activity without necessary approval. This we, 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 under, we understand. Uh, but there must be process. These terminals receive, uh, vessels come to this only with the permission and authority of the relevant uh, organization. I'm sure that the ongoing investigation will unravel how this happened in the first instance. But other than that, every vessel that you see around our country must have the permission and authorization of the respective uh, regulatory and security institutions. And we're happy today that we, our collaboration with the Nigerian Navy, NIMASA, NPA is so extreme today that we have a line of sight around all vessels. Every vessel that is legit is visible to us. There's a platform we are sharing this information. So any vessel that is not on our list, that is not reported by us, is now subject of any action that the Nigerian Navy, NIMAS, or anyone can take. And this is working, and we believe that even such infrastructure, whatever reason they have for, for doing what they did, for coming to the aqua terminal, this, of course, the investigation will reveal what really, what really happened. But I'm very sure that this is past. This will be history, because today, uh, the various institutions have access pre-knowledge of vessels two weeks before they come. We put them on our platform that we know they are coming. Uh, we can monitor them, we can track them, we can see them even at the level of the NNPC. The, the, the other point, of course, is that uh, you mentioned it when you were talking about, okay, the return of the vessel and investigations and so on. Uh, what, what seems to have also happened, particularly with relation to the local, uh, I don't know whether to call them the local thieves, uh, not the international ones who come in <laughs> from outside, is that when they're caught now, uh, whatever they, are, they were using to try to take Nigerian oil and take it away is immediately confiscated, the oil is removed, uh, and that, that vessel or barge or whatever it is, is burnt. Now, quite a number of people said, ah, why? Why burn them? You know, that there are evidence in court and that uh, 
this could be used even by NMPC itself as an asset and all of that. Uh, how do you respond to that? And do you understand the idea behind burning this kind of thing? Yes, uh, first of all, I think very specific, uh, the case of the vessel that was carrying around 200,000 barrels uh, of oil uh, that was arrested by our private security contractors, handed over to us. And the legitimate thing to do is to, to get rid of this vessel. Because I, I don't think there should be any apology around, around this, because some of these vessels, uh, the owners may not even be aware that they are here. Uh, some, the owners may be aware. And they ultimately, what we have seen over the years is arrest of this vessel littering our uh, anchor points. For the Nigeria Navy, it's become a disaster for them. Uh, you can see them you know, congesting their, uh, their anchor locations all over the country. And they are not designed for this. The Nigerian Navy assets and MP assets are not designed for their operations. They are not for keeping arrested uh, vessels. And as long as they know that when the vessel is arrested, the court processes, for very legitimate reasons, the court processes will go and say, look, this owner didn't know about it, and therefore let us prosecute the crew who came here and leave the owner of the vessel and, and leave, them. I give the vessel I back. give the vessel back to them. So you see a recycling of some of these vessels. For instance, that vessel in question was actually arrested about four years ago, Indeed. and it came back because it has to be released because the owner didn't know about it. And, and when you continue to allow people to do this, when they know that this recycling can take place, uh, they will naturally repeat what, what, what we are doing. And it has a very big deterrent. We have seen very increased reduction of the marine activities of some of these bandits as they are seeing this. They are seeing the danger. And we are also stepping up. We are not stopping at just the marine. We are also making sure that the assets that are used for delivering products, even locally within the country, you know, as soon as we get them, we get rid of them. And, and there are two options. You're talking have. about illegal products within the country. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Including the, the trucks, wherever we find them, uh, the, the rational thing to do is to take them down. And that serves as an immediate deterrent. Either way, you have environmental tr trouble. Because when you arrest these trucks, or when you arrest these uh, canoes that you have seen in, in, in the media, so why do you take them to? You take them to naval locations, and you keep them in location, and ultimately, those will return into, into spills. So, uh, do you want to say, let me collect all the oil and process it? That means you are actually now facilitating a huge industry that is going to come out of it. People will convert it into business, and therefore, you know, these activities will con continue to happen. And we have seen drastic reduction in the number of those marine activities. Uh, owners of trucks are now very careful where their, truck, their trucks go to. They monitor the movement of their trucks because they know that there's a risk of losing it. Every day, every truck that we see, uh, in co collaboration with our government security, that we take them out of the, out of the road. And that way, uh, only good people will operate uh, business of trucking, and good people will not take their trucks to the wrong location. They will go to depots where they take products. And, and, and of course, even if you have to do legitimate transportation of crude oil, it will be known to government, it will be tracked. There are volumes that we will know and not what they are doing today. So uh, overall, uh, you have to take certain decisions at some point in time uh, so that you can get people out of that uh, uh, pleasant environment where you can say, look, I can get this thing, I can always get it back. And sometimes, very for legitimate reasons, because they can get it back because the owner can legitimately say that I didn't know this vessel is here, this truck didn't ask me before they got here. And, and sometimes, very often, we have confirmed in some cases that the owner didn't really know that these trucks have come into this wrong, wrong location. But now it will become a necessity for truck owners, vessel owner to be, I should be sure they have, they, they have tracking devices on their, on their trucks and their, and their bases and where, where they are, and they are not in the wrong place. And this is already paying up, and we're seeing massive reduction on the transportation of illegal crude and, and products. Do you have fears about sustainability for this process? 
uh, because, I mean, this process requires everything you've said, but it also requires continued political will. Uh, you need to have the backing of the highest authorities, and in this particular instance, you, you got the, back, the backing of the president, uh, which meant that all other agencies that you've mentioned had no option, even if they were thinking of not uh, you know, jumping on board, but because you had the presidential backing uh, on this, they had to move, and they did move. Uh, do you have fears about society? You and I both know we are in election season, and a new set of leaders uh, will emerge. But even between now and then, do you, do you have fears that uh, perhaps there might be an ebbing? Because that is part of the reason for which people remain highly skeptical. That is, they, they think that at some point you are going to have to relent. And it, that's at that point that the people you are driving away now will be able to make their comeback. No, it's, uh, it's almost impossible uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, we are acting uh, on the good directives and good leadership of Mr. President. And he is very clear, stop this menace so that we can achieve uh, both economic and energy security for our country. It's very, very clear. Uh, the members of the, the security agencies, the leadership, they are very aware of this. Uh, it's a very clear instruction to all of us, including those of us who are running the businesses. It is obvious that if we don't do something, uh, we'll have issues around energy security. I will also have issues around national overall energy and uh, national security. And, and it's paying off. So we're achieving both of them. We're having better guarantee around energy security, also better guarantee around national security. So I don't think it's a political issue. Uh, I don't see any trouble around sustainability. For us as business, we know we must sustain this for us to survive and so us to return value to our shareholders. Let me then bring you to, you mentioned it again in, your, in one of your answers where you talk about distractions, attempts to distract you. Uh, while all this is going on, the theft, the tackling theft and so on, on the other hand, you've got a company to run, which is now a limited liability company. You talk about shareholders to whom you have to report back. Yes. Um, and that brings me to how you are rearranging this, uh, uh, this organization. Uh, when, I, when I wanted to talk about crude oil theft, I thought about the fact that the most logical person to speak to would have been the managing director of PPMC. But part of the restructuring is that there's nothing called PPMC anymore. Mm -hmm. So what are the other things that have happened since I spoke to you last in terms of the restructuring? And how is that going in terms of its impact uh, on, on the core decisions that you talked about then, mm -hmm. such as immediate value addition uh, to the organization? Yes, thank you. The, the intention and the provisions of the law is that NMPC Limited must be run as a commercial company that is bound by all rules of uh, running businesses in a commercial manner, which means that you are subject of the Company and Allied Matters Act, provision of the Petroleum Industry Act, and other codes of governance of all nature where a private sector operates, you become subject of that. And that means that you have no room to lose money. Uh, you must make profit. If you don't make profit consistently for three years, you get declared bankrupt. So you are subject of all these rules. Therefore, you must do everything to make sure that this company is able to make profit, declare dividend to its shareholders uh, at the end of every year as, as agreed by, by, the, by the shareholders. So this is taken for granted. This is obvious. So you can't negotiate this. Now, for you to do this, you must have a very efficient delivery mechanism. You must have the right organization. What we had in the past was a very massive organization which is doing two things. First of all, it's agency of government. 
and also being run as a business. And there's always confusion between those two roles, and they have overlap across each other, and very often one of them becomes a hindrance for the other. So those agency roles, in the sense that you are now running an entity uh, that is not, it's gone. And therefore, you are running a commercial, so you have to create the right structure. So what we did is to see, look, what do we do to get to the best position? That means you must get the, the best of class uh, system and processes, organizational structure, get the best of help that you can. Today, we are supported by McKenzie, KPMG, PwC, everyone that you can think of in this space that has done something right, that knows how others are doing well, working with a team of experts within the company to make sure that we have a structure. So those structures are unfolding. We have collapsed many businesses that shouldn't be there in the first place. We have created new ones that need to be there in terms of today's reality. As we are doing this, and mind you, uh, we didn't start this process even before, uh, we started this process before the enactment of the PI because we know where we are going. We know where this company must, uh, must aim to be. And, and therefore, we say it's an automatic uh, uh, alignment for us on the passage of the petroleum does that we, we now proceeded from where we are. And that's very obvious from the system and process that we are put in place. First of all, for instance, uh, you recall that uh, in 19, 2019, sorry, 2018, we lost 803 billion naira. By 2019, we reduced that losses to less than 2 billion naira. By 2020, we made a net profit of 287 billion naira. By 2021, we are at 600. So you can see that uh, progressively this company is returning value to its shareholder because it now has a better way of doing things. Uh, it's much more commercial. And by implication, once you have this company now running uh, on the basis of the country allied matters, uh, cost must be to the minimal. Best practice must come to place. You have a room to borrow money when you don't have, and so on and so forth. So the net effect will be a multi-billion dollar, dollar company, not Naira. I'm sure uh, you, you, you'll appreciate that this company today has asset worth over 60 billion, about $60 billion. And that is huge. There are companies who have less than that, who make more profit than we do. So we're not saying what we have done in the past is sufficient. No, it's not sufficient. It's not significant enough. It's small for a company of our scale. And that means when you put the right processes and system, you can scale it to the level that shareholders will be happy, will appreciate what we are doing, and we believe that uh, as we cross to 12 months from the date of our cutover, which is the 1st of July, to the new company, by this July 1st of uh, or June 30 of next year, we know that this company will return a different value to its shareholders. It is very practical uh, that this will happen. Yes, we do have uh, issues. Uh, the production issue will no doubt have a great impact on your, on your cash flow. With this, we are, we are very conscious of it. We are doing everything to mitigate and bring back production, do a catch-up. Uh, prices are good today. And therefore, we can have some blowback uh, from the upstream, then ultimately, uh, this company will be the pride of our country. There are many assets, uh, as you talk about, uh, that make up that 60 billion uh, valuation uh, in terms of dollars. Uh, uh, and I assume that some of these assets will be the refineries that we talked about, uh, the four refineries that are undergoing uh, rehabilitation. Where are we with the rehabilitation process? Because many people's eyes are still on that. They want to see those refineries back in operation yes. so that there's some uh, line of sight over the issue of pricing, exactly. uh, which they say is key to that, that process. Yes, two, two things. First of all, uh, it's our very, very realistic ambition to make this country net exporter of petroleum product in 2023. And our target is to make that happen probably by the mid of next year. But we know that in 2023, we could very, very... Uh, practically become net exporter of petroleum products. So how do you achieve this? 
First of all, we have to deliver on the rehabilitation of our refinery. I also have to deliver on the Dangote refinery. Now we are interested party in the Dangote refinery. We own 20% of that asset. And therefore, this refinery will believe that it will come on stream by the middle of next year. Even the combination of the NMPC assets and the Dangote is sufficient for us to be, have uh, net uh, volumes that, that is sufficient to meet our local consumption, our local uh, evacuation, let me call it what the right word, right. and also to, uh, to potentially export some of the product. This is going to happen because even when NMPC refinery were, were functional, you know, the amount of AGO we produce is beyond the consumption of our country. Even at that time, we are exporting AGO into the market. So we know that when we get back these refineries and get the, the refinery on stream, then obviously we become next exporter of uh, petroleum products. This is very, very glaring. It's very, very obvious. Uh, the intervention works or the rehabilitation works in the Potaco refinery is in progress now. We believe that we bring first fuel from the Potaco refinery uh, next year. Uh, by the end of the quarter next year, we are very optimistic that will happen. And also uh, to potentially bring back the uh, water refinery also on stream uh, and the first plant in particular by the mid of next year. And we're also continuing the rehabilitation. We're going to restart the Kaduna refinery. We already have the right framework. Uh, we have an MOU with Daewoo. They, they will mobilize to site uh, very soon. And they will do a catch-up because the, the issues are very different uh, between Kaduna, Wari, and, and Potakwa. And we believe that a catch-up is very, very uh, practical. But ultimately, uh, you're going to have a system where NMPC refineries alone will be able to make 80 million liters of PMS, just to be specific. And the Dangote refinery, because of its very complex and modern nature, it can actually make up to 50 million liters of, uh, of, of PMS by choice. It is a science. And, and that means that ultimately all the PMS that were imported into the country will now be history, and we're very confident that this will happen. Uh, you mentioned figures there, the whole issue about the number of liters, consumption, and all of that. And that brings to mind something else which has proved to be contentious, and the contention is not going away. And that is this issue of how many liters of PMS we consume in Nigeria. I'm sure you are aware uh, that um, not too long ago, the 14th MA of Kano did an analysis of consumption based on the figures that he said he got from the Bureau of Statistics. Uh, about how much Nigeria was consuming, and that in reality there was doubt over whether we, should be, we could be consuming that. There have also been contentions over whether that figure is NNPC's figure, or is Federal Ministry of Finance figure, or is uh, uh, PPMC's figure, or it's uh, PPRA's figure, because these are all agencies that are involved in pricing and being able to know what, you know, what the consumption is. So is it that you as NNPC too, you are waiting or you are watching. These are not your figures. You contribute to the figures. Uh, and then, of course, there's reconciliation between all the agencies or what exactly is the situation? Yes, I think definition is very useful in this situation. What you say, consumption, uh, the assumption is that how much of this oil is actually utilized by uh, internally combustion engine, generators, KKNAPF, everything, pumps and everything, how much of it is actually combusted within the country. I think it's a better way of, uh, of looking at it. That's what should translate to uh, national, figures. Uh, na national yeah. figures. That means you are talking about data. You know? So do you have ability to collect data in every filling station today? No. Do you have access to all the trucks that are running our country? The answer is no. Do we have 
data collection system where everyone purchases at every pump point is known to the state? The answer is no. Many of the procurements are cash. Some go with their bank cards. In some countries, they have forgotten how to use cards. So every liter of fuel that leaves a filling station is attached to a bank transaction. And that's not the case in our country. Yet there are a few exceptions, very minor. In many countries, they can now say actually what came out of every filling station and who bought it. Uh, today, this is very absent. And also, the other complication you have about around that is that there are fuel stations in this country that are known to nobody. They are not on anybody's record. So they will have no obligation whatsoever to even do the installation if you want to do it. That's reality also. So those data that you require to say that like, this is everything that is combusted in the country is absent. And I know there's a process going on to make sure that those installations are done so that ultimately we will be in position by regulation to ensure that this data is rightly captured. So what reliable data do you have? The only data that you have is the data of uh, trucks leaving depots because all products today leave the depots by truck. Wherever they are, whether you use the pipeline to transport it to certain land, you still have to put them on trucks for the trucks to get to, uh, to fuel, sta fuel station. So we have exact data on this. And these are not NMPC data, not PPMC, not any agency, because you have regulatory institutions that are by law required to keep those data. Every truck that leaves a fuel, fuel depot today, including the truck number, the destination fuel station, destination state, the driver's phone number, and so on and so forth. So much basic information that you can always validate exists. And therefore, we know how many of these trucks, what quantity they are carrying, which depot they leave on daily basis. And this is very precise data. So those data can be validated, can be audited by anyone, can be tested by anyone. So that means that we know that those data is coming from the regulatory agency. That's the Nigeria Mainstream and Dowsing Regulator. That's the data we carry in, in NMPC. NMPC is not in every depot. Uh, we, don't, we don't collect data. We are not a regulatory agency. But we rely on this information. And very often, even for our own business, we test this data to see the validity. And it ties to the realities of the data that we keep for our, for our, for our, for our vehicles and for our, for our transportation system. So we know the evacuation from this depot now. Whether this evacuation get to their destination is a different matter altogether. First, two things happen. Cross-border smuggling, and I'm sure you have seen a number of arrests made by the Customs Service, very mother uh, security agencies, our own interventions through the Operation Wide in collaboration with the regulators, the Customs, the EFCC, and all. We have seen clearly indication that these products do cross our border. Do we have exact numbers around this? The answer is no, because nobody keeps those data. You, can't, you only stumble on it, you make your arrests, and you continue. Do they happen? Yes. Every city that is a border, border state, in every border state, that everyone on those border towns know that this smuggling happens. So it's not secret. Can we control it? Yes, minimally. There's so much that is being done by the government security agency, Nigerian customer, and many other things, including our own inter intervention. Are they able to close this 100%? The answer is no. And let me tell you why it is not possible. Arbitrage. You know, when you take uh, 60,000 liters of uh, gasoline in Lagos and take you to a legitimate filling station, as we do, NMPC takes our product into our filling stations. So the margin you make is about 270,000 naira. And imagine when you take the same product across the border to any of these countries around us, you can make 70 million naira. So I don't know how you are going to contain such arbitrage and expect that you know, anyone you see on that uh, line of a chain of activity 
cannot be compromised. Maybe you need to put spirit on those lines. But the reality is that this is, this is real. This is, this is happening. And you must take out the arbitrage for you to contain this. And we are taking steps to make sure that this arbitrage by, by making sure that we provide this product directly into these countries, there are engagements that are going on so that we can minimize those exposures so that they will have no necessity for those cross-border. And that comes with very many other complications, not just on trucks and badges in marine vessels. There is so much uh, money to make so that, you know, the amount of regulation, the amount of controls as in will never be sufficient to take care of this is really what is happening in the cocaine business. You know, cocaine is is being because of the the value. Yeah. Uh, you buy it at one dollar, you sell it for one million dollars. You know, people will see that value and do everything for, including sacrificing their lives to do this. That's what some of them are doing. They are ready to die for it because you know they know that when I make a one click, I'm a wealthy person. And, and this is the same kind of uh, uh, intoxication that cocaine creates. That this kind of business uh, creates. Yes, we do not carry any specific number on national concern for the reasons that I've told you, yes. but we know the evacuation from this depot. And we have also seen its impact. So anytime it goes below a certain number, you will see challenge in our streets. So it gives, it gives us a sense of the combination of the actual con con consumption in the country, and then the top-up that will happen naturally to contain all those excesses cross-border, either in trucks yeah. or barges. Now you must satisfy all of them for you to have sanity in your streets here. And the only way you can stop this is to take out the arbitrage. Madam Mela Kiari, as always, thank, it's thank a pleasure speaking thank, with you. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Thank, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. That's our program today. We would, of course, like to hear from you on the conversation. Our social media handles are right there on your screen. You can also listen to this and previous episodes of the program via our podcast. Please visit our website, channelstv.com forward slash podcast to get started. I am Ladi Akiri Duluali. Goodbye.